Hello, Barry. Long time no speak. I am at the last little edge of lockdown and just starting to taste that little bit of freedom. My hair is nice and overgrown. I'm all hitted out, hit workouted out, and uh, keen to get some freedom going again. How's it going, man? It's going well, Chad. I'm, I'm sure you're ticking off those days one by one, and like you said, yeah. it's coming to an end. And and it, it's quite funny how you kind of know it's coming to the end because of the long hair and the hit workouts and the <laughs> banana bread and all these cliches that have come throughout these lockdown periods. And I'm sure you can't, cannot wait to get back to the real world. Yeah, 100%. Meanwhile, on that side, you guys are pretty much back to life as normal. I'm seeing all these wonderful stories going on there. Temperatures of 36 degrees Celsius, just crazy. Chad, I am melting. I was saying to you just before we started recording, my car doesn't have aircon. And so every time I drive somewhere, I end up looking like a drowned rat by the time I get there. So it's that beautiful African sun. But what's really cool is that we've had the Joburg thunderstorms that we've missed over the last couple of years. So it's been so nice to have those crazy, crazy storms at about 4 or 5 p.m. most days, which really helps to cool things down. And so that's been a big help when it comes to the 30 degree weather throughout the rest of the day. Oh, those Joburg thunderstorms. I miss them. I miss them. Barry, do you sit next to your window just looking out and soaking in the glory that is happening outside? I've got this amazing little reading chair behind me and I kind oh. of sit there and there's a beautiful view out of, out of the complex um, and just watching it through the trees is one of the best parts about Joburg. It's one of those things when you think about Joburg, you think about those thunderstorm pictures and it's, yeah. it's, it's glorious as long as it doesn't hit you because at my parents' house, they had a lightning strike that took out the DSTV satellite, which what? was super annoying. <laughs> so I think it's beautiful if it's far away, Chad. If it's hitting your, yeah. your place, it's not so fun. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. I've actually explained it to a few friends on the side of the pond uh, that we actually a lot of complexes in Johannesburg actually have these lightning poles to absorb all of the shock especially with those thatched uh, houses as well obviously big fire risk over there Um, but yeah it's just a crazy phenomenon that I guess a lot of people on this side where you don't get a lot more Barry than this very slow tiny little drizzle (laughs) every now and then there's a little bit of actual rain Um, but but yeah it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think I think as as far as I know, Joburg is one of the lightning capitals of the world. I think we get like yeah. a, a huge amount of lightning compared to the rest of the world. And I don't know why. I don't understand the geography as to why that <laughs> happens. But it is one of the cool things about Joburg. And, and and those storms can be really, really beautiful. I mean, some of the pictures you can see are absolutely insane. One hundred percent, Barry. Let's move straight on to what's happened this past week. The week that was. The week that was, Chad, I'm going to start by talking about something on this side of the pond, something that most of South Africa has been following with great interest, and it's a, it's a bit of a weird situation. But basically what, what's happening at the moment is this thing called the State Capture Commission, and it's been going on for the last, I would say, year, kind of on and off in the courts and in kind of all these big things. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to unravel a lot of the, the proposed and alleged corruption that's happened within government yep. and within some of the state-owned enterprises in the country. A very, very important piece of kind of work that's going on, trying to figure out where are all the dodgy things that are happening and can we kind of bring some of that to justice? And everybody you can think of has been pulled in front of this commission and they've come and they've given their testimonies and their evidence and they've been cross-examined by all these attorneys and it's been quite a process over the last year. And uh, this last week that we just went through, there was the the former president of South Africa, Mr. Jacob Zuma, who was called up to come and give evidence. And for those who haven't been following or don't know South Africa in detail, Jacob Zuma is a very controversial figure. He was kind of seen as a very, very important piece of all this corruption and has had incredible amounts of allegations against him and his cronies for what they've done from the middle of government. 
So calling your former president up to this kind of commission is a big deal. And so what happened was there were, he was called and he was given a summons, I think, to be be in court for the whole week, so from Monday to Friday. And the first two days of testimony, Chad, it was basically, I don't know how to explain it, but Zuma's attorneys were trying to prove or trying to appeal that the, the leader of the commission, a guy called Mr. Zondo, was uh, of a personal connection to Zuma and therefore was biased. And so okay. for two days, they were trying to determine if Zuma and Zondo were friends <laughs> in a way. That's basically what it came down to. And so they went back and forth and back and forth for a long, long time. And eventually Zondo kind of um, dismissed the appeal and dismissed the thing that he was going to be recused. And he said, no, we're going to carry on. There isn't enough kind of personal connection to make this bias enough for me to recuse myself. And the moment he did that, Chad, the very next tea break, Zuma just disappeared. He just left. <laughs> and so Zondo came back after the tea break and had been told that Zuma had just left completely. And you could see the frustration in his face as he kind of announced it because it was this moment of like – that is a criminal charge to to not be present when you've been ha you've been issued yeah. a summons to appear in front of this commission, and the fact that he just disappeared with all his attorneys. I mean, he was absolutely flabbergasted, Zondo. He couldn't quite believe it, and so they adjourned the next two days because they had planned to have Zuma in in giving evidence for two days straight, and they hadn't really figured out what they were going to do if he wasn't there, and he just disappeared, Chad. And as far as I know, he hasn't said anything since then he hasn't kind of the attorneys hasn't made any statements or whatnot Zondo's kind of said to the SAPS or the police here listen like this is the story like are we going to arrest him and so there's, there's there's rumors of some sort of criminal charge that's going to be laid against Zuma um, it's a very very confusing situation Chad and something that seems to be part of a movie sometimes Wow, but I'm actually kind of surprised that Zondo was surprised because of Zuma, <laughs> the guy who has kind of dodged his day in court. For how long, Barry? This has been a long time to come. And I'm not surprised that they took those two days and wasted a whole bunch of time on something that really had no merit in the first place. And then just walking out, it's just crazy. Here you have a president who, an ex-president, who had, like you say, so many allegations, so many criminal charges of varying natures, Barry. We're not just talking about corruption. We're talking about rape. We're talking about all sorts of things. And uh, Zuma just has never had his day in court properly. Yeah, the last time that he was called to court, he he just developed this mysterious illness, chair, like a couple of yep. days before he was supposed to be in court and was therefore given a postponement. And then he tried to postpone this time by saying there was a funeral he needed to attend. So this like this week's pr proposal uh, sitting was supposed to be a couple of weeks ago. So like you say, he's been dodging it left, right and center. But the fact that he was in the room for those two days made everyone seem like, okay, cool, he's finally going to sit down <laughs> and actually talk about this stuff. But then the moment the recusal wasn't, wasn't um, allowed or wasn't kind of, uh, the appeal wasn't successful, all of a sudden the next tea break he's disappeared. Um, and so it looks incredibly guilty from the outside. It's very hard yeah. to see how the commission's going to take that as anything else than an admission of guilt. And what makes this weird, Chad, is that even though it's like a commission, it's not it's not theoretically a court. So right. they haven't laid charges yet. So this is kind of a, a fact-finding mission. And the idea is that from the, the findings of this, this commission and from the report that they create, that's going to be the basis for whatever criminal charges are laid in the future. Right. And so this thing's going to keep going even longer, Chad. I mean, I, th I saw some stats somewhere that South Africa spent something like 700 million rand on this commission so far, like some crazy number. And wow. it's just going to keep on going and going and going because Zuma keeps dodging these things. 
Oh, absolutely. As much as you can get all of his cronies involved and get testimony from them and try and unweave what has actually happened in uh, various threads of corruption that really has plagued South Africa for such a long period of time until you actually get the man himself there and actually just kill this thing for once and for all, Barry. Uh, But I guess the amount of frustration that's been building up for taxpayers whose hard-earned money has literally just been stolen from them before their own very eyes for so many years. Um, I guess it's just been so frustrating for many. And I guess a lot of people are happy to spend the 700 million that you talk about, Barry, because they'd rather have this commission and rather have this open-ended interrogation, ultimately, into what's actually happened under the leadership of um, President Ramaphosa than have what South Africans have been used to, which has just been, I guess, turning a blind eye at every single thing. That's exactly it. And that's exactly the morale on the ground at the moment. All, all of South Africa just wants to see some some consequences. They want to yep. see some heads roll. They want to see some actual teeth. And that's what Ramaphosa has been saying throughout his whole presidency is that he's going to have teeth and he's going to kind of take action quite seriously. But unless that happens, and, and the ANC has been saying that for years now, but they've never really kind of shown it. There haven't been people, there haven't been high profile people who've gone to jail. There haven't been kind yep. of um, people trying to get this money back quite seriously and blaming criminal charges and that sort of thing. And so the whole South Africa is watching this, hoping for that, just for the principle to know that if, you tr- if, you, if you're going to do something like this, which has been absolutely devastating for the South African economy and for the South African people, you want to know that there are consequences. And, and just having that precedent being set is very, very important, regardless of what the commission costs. I don't know how to feel if I should be optimistic or pessimistic about it. I don't know what this means for the future of this commission. I don't know like where this goes from here. But it is it is quite distressing when you've got a former president that just thinks he's, a, he's above the rules. And I really hope that they do something to kind of set the, set the tone that says, if you are summoned to be in court and you're not there, yep. that is a criminal offense. And I hope that he doesn't escape that at least. I hope so too. I really do. Uh, Like you, Barry, I am one of those ex-South Africans that would love to see Zuma have his day, um, especially just because of the the culture, I guess, that he brought uh, to South African government and, uh, you know, the ongoing woes that it's had since then. Let's then move on, Barry, to some more positive news. Uh, Positive news in the form of another vaccine. We spoke uh, last week about uh, the vaccine that had come to our rescue. Already a lot of people feeling incredibly optimistic about the future and a a stark change in in tone, I guess, on the ground, uh, no matter where you are in the world, just knowing that this thing is there. And we had some more positive news this week coming from AstraZeneca in uh, partnership with Oxford University. Definitely. It's one of those things we kind of alluded to in our last episode that when when one of these things works and we know it's like tackling the spike protein, there are a bunch of other vaccines that were in production that were also tackling the same protein and we expected similar results and we expected like similar kind of consensus. And this is one of those vaccines. So like you say, coming out of the UK, Oxford University with this this pharmaceutical company that I didn't know about beforehand, but I think I don't know many pharmaceutical companies, but AstraZeneca is apparently huge and a really, really exciting results coming out of that. They haven't quite release the exact results but it looks like it's between 70 and 90 percent efficacy which is really yep. good and and showing really good promise and hopefully like at a huge volume i think one yep. of the stats they were saying is that the company announced that in 2021 they estimate they could produce three billion doses 
Insane. which is a really good number. Yep. And it's one of those things where we're going to need we're going to need a bunch of these vaccines to kind of really be producing at max level in order to get the production as, as far and wide as possible. I'm not sure about the storage stuff. I'm not sure if it has similar mm. problems when it comes to logistics, but it's really exciting news just to show that, okay, cool, we think we figured out what the vaccine needs to be. And now the more the merrier, the more of these types of vaccines we can get, the better, because that'll give a better chance of getting it as widely spread as possible across the world. Absolutely. I mean, from what I've seen and read, Barry, I think storage-wise, it is a lot easier than the previous one. I think it still needs to be kept uh, at a certain temperature, but it's a lot more accessible, um, you know, for for the average person kind of thing. So this is great news. Like you say, the volumes look wonderful, and uh, just on the UK side of things. Um, I think with these two vaccines alone, I think they are covered for uh, the, the majority of the population, which is really, really good news. Um, and like you say, with all of these doses spread across the world, it's just a matter of time before we see some more vaccines popping up again. It's it's that moment where you, you're waiting at the bus stop and uh, there's no buses in sight. And all of a sudden, two or three rock up at the same time. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. In the dark depths of the middle of lockdown, we were talking about that light at the end of the tunnel, Chad. We yep. were talking about one day, hopefully we'll get to a stage where we can see the end of this thing. And I feel like that light is just glinting in the, in, in the background. We're not there yep. just yet, but at least there's a lot of positive signs and positive sentiments. And that's really going to buoy the scientific community. And the next question is going to be is, 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 do people actually take it, right? And so that's yep. the big question going forward is that, can we produce it in mass quantities? How are we going to logistically get it around? but at least we're solving the core scientific problems that hopefully will give us a chance to actually manage this thing longer term and get this world out of this crazy 2020 we've all been through. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we'll only have to see whether people do or don't. Um, I hope people are, are sensible and, uh, you know, if not the one, they feel more comfortable with the other kind of go for the one that they decide but let's definitely see barry what lies ahead and uh, just optimistic that at least help is on the way um talking about corruption talking about uh you know south africa's side I, we heard of a lot of corruption in the ppe uh, procurement and that's not strange for south africa it always happens with these government tenders and contracts there's always a middleman involved somewhere but uh, this past week we saw some news coming out on the UK's procurement of PPE. And there was a Spanish middleman there, Barry, who profited in the tune of $28 million. Uh, that's already happened. And given sort of three contracts that are still to come, uh, and that still need to be fulfilled, he stands to benefit another $21 million. Absolutely crazy, Chad. And I've, we've heard a couple of these stories in the UK, so it certainly isn't mm. isn't super clean that side. And I think with any of these cases where there's like limited supply and it's very, very desperate for people to get their hands on these things, there are those opportunistic people who are able to kind of, like you say, be the middleman and kind of add their markup in between that's unrealistic or unreasonable yep. and make a lot of money from it. And it's it's really, it's morally kind of abhorrent. It's really terrible in the, in the midst of a global pandemic to do that. But unfortunately, like the human nature and greed is going to get in the way sometimes and so this is a crazy amount of money for one individual and it's really not a good sign or not a good kind of in indictment on, on, on this whole PPE thing where you're trying to help people you're trying to save yeah. lives but there's people in the middle just trying to take advantage which is not great yeah, absolutely. And governments are taking out these massive loans to be able to afford to uh, put out all of this PPE and I guess also provide support for, for the company to keep the economy going. Uh, ultimately, taxpayers are going to have to be paying these loans back in the future. 
And like you say, you've just got this waste that's so unnecessary. Um, and again, once we've got scrutiny on it, I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, the government's certainly going to be looking forward uh, in terms of their future of contracts and seeing what they can do as a result of this. Because you're right, it does look really bad. Um, how could they have kind of let this happen? Um, talking about the UK, talking about COVID, um, talking about lockdown. Like I said, Barry... Uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel for me, certainly from the second lockdown, which uh, was in winter. It was definitely a lot harder. Uh, it's getting dark at like 4 p.m. It's it's cold. It's, it's all these things, Barry. And uh, I'm really just happy to, like I said, get back to a sort of kind of level of normal. And uh, the government has now released their plan, their strategy uh, post lockdown, which is which is great. A lot of people were worried that the lockdown would be extended. Uh, personally, I thought that would have happened myself, uh, but they've gone with a different approach, which I'm very happy with. And that is back to the tiering system. So looking at regional levels of uh, cases and deciding on an appropriate tier for those levels. So today, as we talk, that is Thursday, the 26th, uh, London will be in tier two. And these tiers, it all gets very complicated, Barry. Like we said, <laughs> as soon as you do these kind of regional approaches, it gets really complicated. But I must take my hat off to 10 Downing Street for releasing some very easy to understand charts and graphs on their Twitter page, um, which are very easy to access and uh, are really useful in understanding the regulations. Uh, but good to know that I'll be in tier two, able to again meet up with, with friends and, and family, I suppose, outside, outdoors in the rule of six, six people, um, which is always good to know. That's very exciting, Chad. So, so none of your crazy house parties just yet, but at least you'll be able to see some friends and kind of feel some normalcy. I've really enjoyed watching all the memes and all the jokes on Twitter about the tier system. I yep. saw a great one saying that, I think my neighborhood's in tier 67B. What is exactly does that mean? Um, so I've really enjoyed everyone kind of laughing about how it's, it's a little bit complicated to know exactly yep. what you're doing. And I bet you most people haven't read all that stuff that you're talking about chad and so like, people have been running away with the idea that i saw a hashtag tears for tears as in like crying <laughs> tears for tears which i thought was amazing um oh, and so yeah I, I think it's a way to go um it's trying to like, tackle the hot spots as best you can yeah. and kind of allow those people who are not in those hot spots to try and get back to some sort of normal life especially in the run-up to christmas i think a lot of people were worried about over the christmas period i'm not gonna be able to see family and friends i'm gonna be yeah. stuck in my house and that's the big concern i think for a lot of people so we have to wait and see how things go over the next couple of weeks. But positive signs are coming to an end. And I'm hoping for your sake, Chad, that things continue to improve and continue to stabilize so that your Christmas period is a little bit more normal than what you were expecting during this lockdown. Yeah, you're so right about the, the tears and those memes. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but I, I heard something that, that really was quite interesting for me uh, today when Boris Johnson was doing his, his briefing this evening. Uh, and that is a little sentence that he said, which is, your tear is not your destiny, Barry. How, uh, <laughs> how dramatic is that? Um, and this is then talking about the, uh, the rapid testing strategy that they're uh, looking at for the future. So I think they've trialed it. And essentially the, the idea here is you have a mass amount of people getting tested at one particular point in time. And these are tests that turn around really quickly. We're talking 15 minutes kind of thing. You get a result. Oh, wow. And basically what he said is if in that testing uh, you know, process, you actually get a test and you test negative, you might be able to have more liberties than your area allows. 
Uh, and so this was also a very interesting idea for me. And uh, like we like we talk about all of these movies, these conspiracy movies, are you going to have a band that you know shows that you <laughs> were tested negative? How does this work? It's a real life zombie movie coming to life here, Chad. <laughs> who's going to be the zombies and who's going to be the, the humans, right? Um, I think it's a really interesting thing. I think this discussion's also happening in the vaccine community, talking about how okay. we're going to distribute these vaccines. And so I was reading something about... Politically, it's going to be difficult to not spread the vaccines as widely as possible, right? So you might say, if I've got a, a million doses this week, should I be spreading it equally across all the counties or all the states in whatever area that I'm in? Yeah. And the, actual, the right way to do it is not that way. The right way is to do concentrated areas. So you kill the virus in specific areas which right. allows those people to go back to work rather than diluting your effect over, the, over a whole city or over a whole country. But politically, that's very, very difficult to do. Mm. And so in the same way, this is also going to be very difficult to do. So I, I, I think it's a great great way to do it and that mass testing if it if it works like that is really cool and it really bring yep. people back up to board but what's that going to do for the people who are not in those groups and feel kind of hard done by by those yep. by those policies and that's always the trade-off you're playing here between what is best for the health and what's best for the greater good versus the politics of dealing with different regions and different cities and different states and countries so, uh, so true. always interesting yeah. yeah so true barry um but and and then just in terms of that distribution i guess the the going up and down the age bands also kind of makes sense as well so once you've tackled how you're going to distribute it uh you know regionally uh, then you next tackle well who actually gets it first and the government's also unveiled their approach there which we've briefly discussed and that is by going down the age bands obviously where your fatalities are, are most apparent yeah it's gonna be a really interesting social experiment to see how different countries do it and how they mm. think about these things so across age across gender across like comorbidities across location all of these variables are going to play a part because you're not going to have enough vaccines to give to everyone on day one and so you are gonna have to think quite carefully about how you do it and i think there's a lot of people working on that right now and thinking about what would be the best way to do it but again you balancing the politics as well and so it's going to be interesting to see chad how many of the like the the perfect best practice ideas are actually allowed to happen rather than a more politically um kind of stable kind of way of doing yeah. it if that makes sense and so for yeah. each country you're going to have to deal with it differently and i'm interested to see the different countries and how their cultures kind of impact the way that they distribute these things we've seen how cultures have impacted the way people like, yes. adhere to masks or kind of gather in social situations or listen to authorities etc and so i think we're going to see similar cultural things play out in different ways depending on how the vaccine is distributed Fascinating. Well, nothing we can do but speculate at this stage. We'll certainly have to see. But Barry, talking about Christmas, because that really is around the corner and we need to get going with our preps on our Christmas special <laughs> um, as well. I'm going to be putting up the tree this weekend. Is it, is it too Amazing. early? I think as long as it's December, Chad, that's kind of my rule. So as long as you right. wait for this, oh, you, you might be just before December. I'm going to be a few weekend. days early. Yeah, <laughs> a few days. I mean, not too bad. Literally one or two days. At least you're not one of those people who's had it up since mid-October, Chad. Those people I don't understand. They are way too into Christmas. But I think I think you'll, you'll get a pass. A couple of days, we'll, we'll give it to you because you're in lockdown. How about that? Oh, thanks. So kind, Barry. <laughs> uh, but talking about Christmas, uh, Boris has actually saved Christmas in a way. And uh, I sent you a message that I saw on his Instagram account, uh, which I thought was really quite endearing let's put it that way where an eight-year-old wrote him a letter like a handwritten letter i think the guy's name was monty saying well boris what if i'm careful what if i put hand sanitizer next to the cookies so that santa doesn't infect the house uh, what if i do all of these things can you please let 
that Christmas happened, and he actually replied to uh, to the message, and uh, I thought that was really quite uh, quite sweet as well. Um, but yeah, Barry, basically Christmas in the UK is is happening. We've got five days where three households, regardless of size, can interact. So th- okay. you basically pick your bubble for those five <laughs> days, and you can see them as many times as you would like. You can sleep over, uh, do do whatever you like, um, which I think is is really a nice thing in a year that's been quite tough. Yeah, I think so. I think it's quite important, I think, for humanity as a whole is to be able to come together and kind of detach from the year that we've been through and kind of just Mm. be with the people closest to us. I think so many people have been incredibly isolated over this year, not being able to be with loved ones, have had loved ones who've died without being able to connect with their people. And and so this kind of connection, I think, is going to be really important just for humanity as a whole. We have been through one of the toughest years, certainly in our generation, but probably in the last last couple hundred years. And it's really important that I think this is kind of a message of hope looking forward to 2021. And that it's we underestimate how how important it is to be able to gather with the people that you love and that you care about over holidays like Christmas and just kind of be grateful for the fact that you can be together. And so I think it's wonderful. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas all around the world and, and in the UK, it's really exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And you're completely right. We, we need this time uh, together. The only problem is most of my friends are going to be away, um, <laughs> which is not great. Uh, and I, th- I guess that's always the case in London. Uh, people, people don't generally stick around, even though it's so beautiful here. There's so many Christmas lights. It's, I really love being in London during Christmas. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's that. Barry, we saw something else happen this week that we weren't expecting. It's not quite what we weren't expecting, but we still weren't <laughs> expecting it. I think it's the closest thing to a Christmas present for Biden that we could have imagined, Chad. And it's not a concession from Trump, so don't get too yeah. excited. All it was was a announcement that he was he had instructed his team to cooperate with the transition, with the, the Biden transition. And so what I think has happened is the Republican Party, which is Trump's party, even though he's kind of gone on his own mission for the most part, they put a bit of pressure on him and kind of said, listen, we need to uphold the kind of democracy here. And, and he's lost a whole bunch of these court cases. There hasn't been this evidence of widespread fraud that he was talking about. We haven't seen anything really, to be honest, to say that there wasn't much fraud. And so... He's basically been forced to say publicly that, listen, he's told his team he's going to cooperate. He's going to start letting the transition happen because there's a lot of stuff to do before January 30th or whenever the inauguration is. Um, But he's not giving up, Chad, and he's still fighting the results. He has not conceded, but it's a step in the right direction. And to be honest, I think this is as close to a concession as we're going to see from this man. (laughs) Well, that's just a crazy statement, but it's probably (laughs) true, right? It's probably true. It's just a crazy thing. We never thought we would ever say something like that, but it is just what it is. And uh, ultimately, at least the man who is the president-elect now gets to have access to the keys, gets uh, gets to have access to all the people he needs um, to to get working, right? To to get things back on track. And, And that's what's important here. The thing for me is, at this point, surely Trump should kind of, you know, take his losses he's going to be paying quite a lot in legal fees right so he has to pay for every kind of legal uh, battle or every recount that he decides he wants at this point i would just take it and uh, you know go on to his many different golf courses around the world as would anyone saying chad as with anyone who has any shred of integrity but we've seen trump time and time again just like go against everything that we would think of as as, as american and as democratic and as kind of a leader of the free world um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see some heartfelt apology. I don't think we're going to see this 
this gracious phone call to Mr. Joe mm. Biden. I think it's one of those things where uh, this is the closest that I think he's going to get. I feel like he's going to hold on to this for the rest of his life and we're going to have to deal with him into his 80s and 90s and 95s talking about how the election was stolen from him. Um, and it's one of those things where, yeah, it's just the kind of person that he is. But at least the Biden transition can start to get into those conversations because they're dealing with COVID on a very serious level right now yeah. and they need to have their hands on deck. They can't afford to wait for January 30th because the numbers in the U.S. are still crazy. Mm. And so they need to get in there and make sure they, they have their COVID kind of task force in action as quickly as possible so that they can try and get things under control on that side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully that happens, Barry, but we never know. What is life like after presidency for Trump? Do we see another season of The Apprentice coming in the next couple of years? <laughs> Chad, there's rumors, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, there's rumors of Trump TV, of a no. TV channel called Trump TV. And it sounds perfectly on brand. It sounds exactly like what he would do. So, yeah, that, that, that is the rumor. I don't know what the truth is. I, I don't think he's going to be quiet. That's for sure. I don't think we've heard the last of him. I think he's going to be very vocal for the rest of his life. Um, but I don't know if he's going to rather spend his time playing golf and kind of tweeting from the from the sidelines. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Yeah, let's see about that. Now, this next story that we want to quickly touch on, Barry, is something that is quite crazy. And it reminds me of the story of Scottie Pippen uh, when we're watching this uh, Michael Jordan uh, documentary series. And... Uh, Obviously, that was before our time, you know, the Scotty Pippen debacle. But it's kind of the same kind of thread as, as this one that we're going to discuss now. Yeah, definitely. And I've got some confusing ideas around it, Chad. So I'm keen to hear what you think as well. But basically, mm. the story goes... Dave Chappelle, which is probably one of the biggest comedians in the world, has been kind of right at the top for the last couple of years and has like known as a great in the comedy world. He has been around for a long time. He started comedy when he was 25 and now he's in his mid-40s and he's had like a really successful career. And right at the beginning of his career, he signed a deal to, to make a show called The Dave Chappelle, I think it was called The Chappelle Show. And it was a very, very successful comedy show that, that really kind of catapulted him into his success and really made him who he is. And that show, at the time, what we found out in the last week or so is that he signed a deal to make that show that was very kind of predatory in a way. So as with a lot of these entertainment deals, if you don't have any fame and you're trying to make it and you're so desperate to kind of get your break, often you'll end up signing a deal that is that is not kind of to your favor because you're desperate to make it happen and you don't know like how successful you're going to be in the future or how successful the show is going to be. So we've heard lots of these stories about these contracts where the artists and the people actually making it get screwed by these production companies because they take a bet on him and they kind of reap all the rewards afterwards. Yep. And so in this case, it's exactly Exactly that. And since the show had finished airing, he hasn't earned a cent from it, even though it's been streaming around the world, like even way after it was made. And recently it's been, I think HBO picked it up to stream it and Netflix as well. And so he got very angry about this fact that he wasn't making any money from this and these guys were making all of the money. And he kind of said to his fans, listen, I'm not getting paid for this. I, I don't agree with the way this is being handled. And therefore, I want you to boycott my own show. <laughs> he basically asked his fan base to say, please, don't go, don't watch Crazy. it. Just like boycott it be unless I start, unless we sign a better deal for these streaming rights that I signed away years and years ago when I was a kid. And the most interesting thing about it, Chad, was that he actually phoned Netflix and he said to Netflix, listen, this is a story. I don't feel like this is fair. Please take it down. And Netflix did. 
they decided to remove wow. it from their catalog. And he spoke about it quite eloquently in a, in a, in a stand-up gig he was doing. And he was saying that's why he loves Netflix so much is because they've got integrity mm. and they kind of they stand by the artists. And so he is now a diehard Netflix person for the rest of his career because Netflix did this thing, which they didn't have to do, but they've yep. pulled it away from, from the platform until he kind of signs a better deal. And so I think it's an interesting debate, Chad, because like he signed a contract, right? And contracts yeah. have their own force. And unfortunately, like whether you like it or not, life's not fair and that's kind of what you do. And, and when you sell the rights to something, you sell the rights and that's what you do. And so I'm a little bit conflicted because I can see his point of view and I can <laughs> see the fact that like he that he feels hard done by. But at the same time, if I'm that business person who managed to spot him when he was early and kind of sign a really good deal, why should I then have to go against that deal because he's more successful in his older years? It's very confusing to me. It really is. And I'm equally conflicted about it as you are. But some, for some reason, okay, I don't have a, a connection with uh, Dave Chappelle. I haven't actually watched his show before. But for some reason, on the Scotty Pippen version of this actual happenings, Barry, I felt very, very passionately that he should have got a renegotiation. Ultimately, the Bulls, because of what he did for the team, he should have been recognized for it and, and they should have topped up his fees. But like you said, ultimately they're a business, right? And he signed those he signed that contract, which at the time was a lot of money for him, which at the time meant he could keep his family going for many, many years. And obviously we know athletes uh, in, in the Scottie Pippen example, um, you know, get injured uh, and, and ultimately... He he, may, he might not have known he'd be still uh, going for, for so long. But for some reason in that case, I was very passionate on his side. Whereas on this side, on this case, I don't know, maybe it's because he's 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 telling people to boycott the show. I, I guess I, I don't like that. I, I don't like the fact that he's asking his fans to boycott his own show. Surely he could have left the show, right? Left the show because that's an option and started another show with a different name uh, under his new fame like that that surely would have been an option yeah it's 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 a very controversial one and like you say i'm i'm very conflicted about it because the way that these businesses work is that these production companies, like if you think about it, the way they operate is they, they will take bets on 50 artists, right? Yeah. Knowing that 48 are not going to work out and you're going to lose money on all 48 of them. But yeah. you're looking for those stars. You're looking for those kind of gold in the, in, in, in the mine. And, that's how you make your money is you have outsized returns on those big stars and for taking that risk right at the beginning of the career when you don't know they're going to be a star that's when you get rewarded over time is because you took that risk at the time right he ne he wouldn't have been the person that he is today without signing that deal sure. back then and that's sure. kind of the argument is that these guys gave him a show they gave him a platform to kind of show how talented he was and that's what made him who he is but at the same time, we've heard so many stories, especially in music and in those kind of areas, where these production companies do take advantage of these artists because they're so desperate to make it and there's this, there's this glamour around being a, a, a published author or a recording musician or whatever the story is and the incentives aren't aligned and these guys sign away deals at 19 or 20 that don't understand what they're doing. And so, yeah, it's, it's such a delicate debate and it's so difficult to see. And with Dave Chappelle, he's got so much power, he's able to make moves like this but if you look at someone who's a lesser celebrity or someone less mm. successful they get screwed by these deals and they can't do anything so there's an argument to be made about Chappelle kind of standing up for the rest of the artistic community who aren't able to make these kinds of moves that could destroy his career because yeah. he is big enough that, he, that it won't destroy his career 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. And I think the thing that we need to specifically think about here is that streaming was not a thing when he signed his contract, right? Yeah. It's a completely new thing. So, I mean, in all fairness, I think the production company should be able to address a new stream of revenue that they weren't getting before. Um, which which is interesting and you know I guess it's something that we see in in corporate life you know on a daily basis kind of thing uh, where like you say maybe it's not the the right thing to do but companies do stand by contracts and that's how business works right and yep. if you're going to go against that and if you're going to start invalidating things and like kind of setting a precedent like this it's dangerous because hmm. the whole idea is that these contracts are supposed to kind of lay out the agreements lay out the various terms and conditions but I imagine that this clause, that this contract has something like any future revenue streams become ours. And like sure. you say, streaming wasn't around and they maybe couldn't have foreseen streaming. But now, of mm. course, streaming is the main thing and it's it's the main revenue generator. And so they would have made a lot of money selling it to Netflix and HBO and et cetera. And so, yeah, it's it's very complicated, Chad. And I think it's going to be the first of many of these stories. We saw Kanye West talking about it in his contracts with his kind of okay. masters yeah. of his older songs. We've seen Taylor Swift talk about it. We've seen a lot of high profile cases just like this and so it's not the end it's not the end and i think that artists in general are getting more savvy and hopefully more kind of understanding as to if i do get huge am i protected do i have the right things in place to make mm. sure that i actually capture that value and that i'm not taking it not being taken advantage of because i'm 19 and i can't see where i'm going just yet yeah absolutely and the other thing we've seen barry is we've seen uh, some mitigating factors too. We've seen some new record labels being launched that that tackle these specific uh, points. So the one that yeah. I worked for before, uh, AWOL, um, which Phineas is signed to, specifically lets artists keep a lot more of their own revenues kind of thing, keep their masters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's been nice to see that, I guess. Um, but but it certainly, certainly isn't the end. Yeah, I think a lot of production companies are getting quite defensive because hmm. like the world is changing, right? You don't need a production company these days, to be honest. Yeah. Like we've seen kind of people, Billie Eilish and, and Phineas is a great example, making an album in their room and kind of producing this world-class, world-changing album by themselves. And so the question is, do these kind of production companies have a have a role to play in the future of music or in the future of TV or in the future of comedy? And that kind of existential like threat to them makes them way more defensive in these sorts of deals. And that's yeah. when things get a bit nasty. And so like you say, hopefully we see more companies that are more kind of understanding of where the world is going and can be more artist friendly because they're going to win in the long run if they are able to offer artists a much better deal. And so, yeah, that's where the innovation needs to come in in these spaces. How do you think about this going forward when your production is not necessarily needed because the, the barriers to entry to make a song or to make an album or to put on a show mm. is, is much lower than it used to be. It's a whole new world, Barry. A whole new world. Let's then move on. Stuff I found interesting. We're sticking to comedy, Chad. We're chatting about another comedy legend, the man by the name of Kevin Hart. And yeah. the reason I'm bringing him up is because I watched his brand new special on Netflix the other day. And it is a special that he does from the inside of his house, Chad. So normally we think of Kevin Hart, we think of him in big stadiums to thousands and thousands of people, these ginormous productions. But of course, COVID has put an end to all of those dreams. And so what he's done instead is he has put on a special for about 30 people, I think his friends and family, as far as I understand, mm -hmm. 
in his living room, which is it's not really fair to call it a living room because he lives <laughs> in this ginormous mansion and it looks like a proper proper theater. So yeah. it, it doesn't feel legit to call it his house. It seems, but, but there we go. He lives in a different <laughs> world to you and me, Chad. Um, and he put on this special and I thought I just wanted to bring it up because it was such an interesting kind of change to see what comedians are doing in this COVID world when they aren't able to perform in a normal comedy theater with lots of people. Amazing. And I bet he's making a heck of a lot of money. Like you say, producing it himself in his own home. Uh, obviously, Netflix has got some standards in terms of uh, cameras that are actually used. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that those kind of standards, Barry. But for me, it is fascinating that they release that. They release the standard basically saying that anyone that has those cameras can submit something to Netflix. And I think that is remarkable. Um, but you're right. I think this talks really well to what we just spoke about um, and allowing people to actually produce their own things um, where, you know, historically he would have been at a theater and I'm sure would have had to pay royalties uh, to the various uh, production companies, all that kind of stuff. Great that he can actually release this. What was the name of that uh, special, Barry? <laughs> the name of the special was called Zero Fucks Given. And it is talking about all of the things that he gives zero ifs about, Chad. Right. Uh, he makes a lot of jokes about COVID. He makes a lot of jokes about his family. He's very much a family man these days. And so it was a very interesting special because it kind of felt like he had matured a lot. I remember okay. watching him when he was much younger and he was much more brash, much more in your face, much more kind of very intense. It feels like he has matured as he's become a dad and gone. He went through a horrific car accident last year. And so he's been okay. through a lot in the last little bit um, and so I really enjoyed it and like you say it was very interesting to see in his living room but even saying that if I didn't tell you it was his living room and if he didn't tell you you would not know because it looks okay. like a theater that's how big it is and that's how well they put it together so it's a really well produced special and one of the few comedy specials that have come out during COVID Chad which I thought was interesting yeah amazing gonna have to give that a watch and gonna have to mark this episode as an explicit episode um <laughs> Which is, you know, it's not a bad thing necessarily, Barry. I mean, if we look at our demographics, um, typically, we, 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 you know, we, we're targeting uh, the older sort of generation. So I think I think we're okay to, to mark that one stamp on, on this episode. I think so. I think so. And uh, if, especially for my friends who know that I don't swear that much, that'll be a really nice Easter egg for them. So that's all good. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. Going to have to check that out and uh, we'll let you know what I think, Barry. So the next thing, which is something that I found interesting this week and I'm sure has been a bit of an annoyance for a lot of people who are addicted <laughs> to social media. And that is Instagram's layout change. Oh my gosh, how annoying. Um, but not just just going past the annoying part of it. I kind of feel like it's, it's premeditated in a way. What they've done, Barry, is they've moved the shop button to where the notification button used to be. So everyone kind of logs into their app, goes and clicks the notification button. You know, what's been going on? What have people been liking? What, what's been happening? And now you take into a shop front, which quite frankly shouldn't be in Instagram in the first place. Do you agree? Chad, it is genius and evil at the same time because I, it, I think it's exactly premeditated. I think yeah. that's exactly what they intended to do because my finger habitually goes there. And yeah. so I've clicked there a couple of times and been frustrated <laughs> when it's like, damn it, I forgot it's moved again. And now it's like further away and I have to move. It's, it's, I, 
I understand why they did it. I think it's a bad move, to be honest. Yeah. I think that Instagram feels like it's going the way of Facebook, where it's getting more and more bloated. Just in the way, if, if you want to try and create something now, you click on that little plus button and you have to make so many decisions. <laughs> is it a story? Is it a post? Is it a reel? Is it an IGTV? Is yeah. it a, a, a guide? So is it a guide? That? Have you seen is that? Is it a Barry? guide? You can I now make you guides. Some, <laughs> just crazy. I saw you make a guide. So, I mean, how many, how many of these features are going to plug into this app? And now there's a shop fronts and you see Instagram are pushing kind of the, the retail aspects of things and I'm worried about it because I'm so frustrated with Facebook right now and when I go into Facebook I hate the experience because it is so bloated and there are so many things there and it's lost its kind of special feel and Instagram was has been the thing for the last couple of years, has been kind of the, the leader mm. and I worry that it's going that way Chad with these sorts of updates. I agree and I think, that, I think they might already have gone that way Barry, like you said I think it might have already gone one step too far um, let's certainly see whether it actually affects yours and my experience on a day-to-day basis. But you're right. Sometimes it's just too many decisions to make. Sometimes the limited number of features um, actually you know, gave us a lot more enjoyment in Instagram without being able to have these custom features and uh, custom filters and, and do all these kinds of weird things. Sometimes having that limit element to it makes it a lot more special, don't you agree? It, it really does. And I think it's it's a natural progression as a business matures because you're always chasing revenue. And so obviously Instagram have to like, or Facebook as a whole have to deliver results for their shareholders. And so they have to turn on monetization wherever they can. But unfortunately it does degrade the user experience. Instagram was so pure when it was just photo sharing, right? When it was just like really cool photos from your friends. Instagram stories came along and really changed the whole experience, I think for the better because at that stage yep. it was, I think it was a, a value add kind of place Agreed. but when it comes to retail I don't know about you Chad but I've, I've never even thought about <laughs> buying something on Instagram I know I'm not the target market I know it's mostly clothes and makeup and that sort of thing yep. Yep. so maybe I'm just the wrong person to be talking about this because I, I don't see myself buying anything off Instagram um, but it's one of those things where it does start to feel like it's very very confusing and in, an, in, in, in Twitter Chad I don't know if you've seen Twitter but Twitter are following a similar thing where they've introduced right. stories into Twitter and so if you go to your Twitter account right now there are now stories at the top, which I think is another stupid idea. Because again, what was so great about Twitter was the lightweight feel of being able to just go in and kind of see your thoughts from all people you follow immediately. And now they've got these stories at the top, which they're calling fleets, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, and I, I think again, it's this, it's this consistently chasing this revenue to allay shareholders that I think will be the death of these apps over time, Chad. Gosh, and actually, when you mentioned that, I actually do think I did see it. I don't go on Twitter that much, but the last time I did go, I did notice it. And Barry, I saw you had one up there. <laughs> I'm going to play the game, Chad. Just because I hate it doesn't mean I'm not going to play the game. And so I've been experimenting with some fleets, and they've got zero engagement, zero impressions. So it hasn't gone well for me when it comes to the fleets. Um, so I definitely tried it out once or twice, Chad. Um, but okay. I think that everyone is kind of going this way. I don't know if you followed the Snapchat news as well. There's, there's lots no. in this space. Snapchat are, are launching a TikTok competitor, which oh. they're calling Spotlight, which is basically a carbon copy of TikTok and trying to compete in that space. And so I, it feels like the social media environment right now, Chad, is going a bit insane. And I don't quite know what to make of it. I don't quite know like what's happening. I know TikTok is getting absolutely huge and it keeps growing month after month after month. The number one creator, Charlie D'Amelio, just hit 100 million followers on TikTok, wow. which is an insane number of people. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, Chad, I think over the next couple of months, we're going to see a lot of movements from all of these big social media companies. And unfortunately, I think 
all across the board, I'm not very optimistic about the changes. Wow, what a time to be alive. What a time, like all of these changes happening at the same time. Um, it's just it's just a bit too much, if I'm all honest. Uh, it's a bit too much to keep on track of everything. I feel like an old man by saying that, Barry. But it, it just is. I don't want to log into an app and have no idea what I'm doing. feel like I'm a complete noob again. Um, it's, just, it's just a bit too much. And at the same time, we're seeing uh, documentaries and all these kinds of things about social media, about the f- effect on your life ultimately. And a lot more people, I think, are having these experiments of pulling away from it a bit and i think they're actually reaping some pretty good rewards yeah definitely i mean i'm coming up to december chad and over the last Mm. two years i've taken the month of december off social media and so i'm coming to that point again and it's like this reckoning it's this reckoning of coming to terms with why do we use these things like what value are we getting out of it and what Mm. are we giving up in order to get that value and i think a lot of people are having those discussions because of the documentaries that you speak about but then on the other side of the coin these companies are just trying to chase money at the same time and so it feels like we're coming to a a breaking point or some sort of clash in the next year or two where we're going to have to have some real conversations and whether these apps die whether they kind of take off even more than they have already, whether we see new apps coming in that try and kind of think about the philosophically a little bit differently, I don't know. But I don't think that if we're chatting about in two years in the future, Chad, and think about what social media we're talking about in two years' time, my gut (laughs) feels that it's not going to be the types of things we're talking about right now. I think there's a lot of change coming in the next little bit. Interesting. Really, really interesting. Well, let's then move on and look ahead. Looking ahead. Right, so we've chatted a lot about facial recognition on this on this podcast and about all of these deep fakes, Chad, where you're able mm. to put your voice or your words or your even your face onto other people's faces and really make it look very realistic. And we chatted about the, the neural filters and, and Adobe yes. and all that stuff. There's a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in the past. And I came across a company slash app called Expression Camera, which okay. is kind of insane, Chad. Basically, what it does it, is it allows you to do deep fakes on yourself in real time so rather than taking an old video and then kind of rendering it and kind of making it into something else it's able to on your zoom call you can click a button and become the mona lisa and all of a sudden the mona lisa is speaking at the same time that you are and you're kind of deep faking onto that mona lisa painting and and from what it looks like you can do it with any image you want so whatever person you want no whatever ways. kind of environment you want to be on in real time on your zoom calls right so it is a crazy crazy application of this we saw it coming but it's crazy that it's here already it still looks a bit wonky it doesn't look perfect and it looks a bit <laughs> silly at this stage but for a version 1 product it's gained a lot of kind of publicity and a lot of like debate in the in the environment as as mm. would be expected because it's an appy download it's one click and then it's happening in real time and that is terrifying to me Chad. what's the use case here barry why would you want to actually download this app unless you are doing nefarious things chad that's the funniest part because you watch their sales video and they you can see them desperately trying to grasp for use cases that just aren't there (laughs) so the one use case they were talking about was if you want to be on a zoom call in your pajamas but you want to look like you're in a suit and so the guy was sitting with a call on a call with his boss and like faking the suit on and then there's another one where it was just for fun like becoming a painter 
meeting or whatever. So there are no use cases really, Chad. And yeah. that's kind of the weird thing about this company. Like the sales video I thought was hilarious because I think they're grasping at straws. <laughs> but what it does do, it points it points to where the technology mm. is going. And the fact that this is publicly available as an app for anybody to use, who knows what's coming down the pipe. And so I don't think these guys are going to make it big. I think it's kind of a gimmick and then people forget after a couple of days. But it kind of points to where this technology is going. Yeah, really interesting. I would kind of hope that if you do use their feed, so like we have spoken about before and like we always like bringing up because we like saying it, Barry, mm-hmm, you, when you <laughs> use mm-hmm, you have this, this logo that pops up in the, in, the, in the corner so that the person who's watching this uh, video call actually knows you're using that app. I feel like they have any company who implements this type of feature in the future that we're talking about, this expression camera, Needs, has almost a moral obligation, I think, to have some sort of uh, marker to have the recipient know that a deep fake is, is being applied here. Definitely. And unfortunately, I don't think that is common knowledge or common understanding. I think that that is still an ethical dilemma we need to talk about as a society yeah. and as the people making decisions about how do you regulate this sort of thing. I think it's very important. It kind of talks that discussion when Google released their robotic um, assistant that was kind of booking hairdressing appointments and stuff without a human involved. Mm. And they they had regulations in place where they had to announce, I am a robot, I'm not a human, because <laughs> it was unfair that they didn't know, right? So it's, a sa- it's that same discussion is that as we start to manipulate things in real time audio and video and and pictures and whatnot are we able to kind of watermark things and kind of say this is synthetic media this is Mm. not normal this is not raw real footage and if we aren't able to do that it causes a whole lot of drama for for fake news and for kind of misappropriations and, and manipulations of people's words and all these things that are very dangerous for society so we have to figure that out somehow we have to figure out a way of how do we differentiate between real media and fake media yep. because before we know it you're not going to be able to tell the difference with the naked eye and that's when things get really really tough wow <laughs> one crazy thing after the next Barry yeah that really is uh, quite interesting to hear about I must go and check that sales pitch because it sounds a little bit hilarious i i am always (laughs) such a fan of uh you know high production high quality items and whenever i come across anything that is not i can't help myself but uh, you know have a good (laughs) chuckle barry shall we move on then let's move on chad develop and grow all right this is a section of the podcast that i feel like we have been neglecting barry i feel this guilt deep down inside of myself that basically tells me the fact that we're not talking about this stuff is the fact that we're not thinking about this stuff. And uh, ultimately, we need to get better and we need to get this on the agenda in a big way going forward. And today is not really that. Uh, not really, not really. <laughs> um, but but anyway, let's, let's have a little bit of a discussion. And it's really talking about how to, how to save some money, how to resist the urge to purchase something that is brand new. And this is something that I fall victim to very, very often. We were speaking about the Apple releases, Barry, all three of them. And in every single case, you get swept up in in basically the salesmanship, ultimately. Great production stuff. Uh, all of these wonderful consumer goods um, that are undoubtedly incredible. But we don't need all of them. We don't need them all ourselves. Um, but how, how do you do that? How do you resist the urge to purchase it? Let's say you do, you, you are willing and able to buy it. Let's say you have enough money and you do want to buy this thing because you think it's going to add much, so much value to your life. Um, I think what you should do and what I typically do do is wait. Just wait for it to lose its shine. 
it's a crazy thing to think about, Barry, but when you do let the product get released and you do watch everyone doing their unboxings and getting swept up in how happy they are to have these things, etc., 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 you are able to then ask yourself the question a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, okay, do I still want it? And if you still want it, then for me at that point, you are well within your right to, to buy it. And that's exactly what I did with my camera. I only bought it, I think, four or five months after it was released, uh, maybe even more than that. Um, and I found the exact same thing happened to me with this new iPhone, uh, where I really wanted to buy it uh, after the release. Like I was 100% sure that I was going to put my, my name on the pre-order list, and I haven't. And now that we are where we are now, Barry, I have no desire to. I think it's a really important conversation to have, Chad. And I think that when we're recording this, Black Friday is tomorrow, right? So it's, it's, yeah. that, it's that key moment where people go crazy when it comes to material items because they see all these big sales. And like you say, the impulse to buy those things is engineered. Like that's why they have those events mm. is to kind of build that hype and build that thing and make you feel like if I don't have this thing, I'm going to be left behind. That's this whole feeling of FOMO that drives all of technology, drives all yeah. of materialism in a sense. And we are so easy to, especially when you have the money, when you have the means to do it, it's yeah. very easy to impulsively say, cool, I'm going to upgrade because of course it's got a better camera, it's got a better this, it's got all these yeah. different specs. But if you actually have to sit and ask yourself, what do I use my phone for right now? What do I actually need exactly. this for? Very quickly that kind of falls away and you realize that it's just cosmetic in a lot of cases. And so that strategy of waiting is absolutely golden. Yeah. I follow two guys called the minimalists and one of their rules they say is that when you want something, they'll have like a wish list on their phone, like a little notes okay. and they'll write down what they want and the dates and they'll say to themselves, okay, in 30 days time, or you can okay. say whatever days, whatever it has to be, but you set whatever time you want, but they said 30 days. They say okay. in 30 days time, I'll look back on that and then say, do I still want it? And right. what they've found is that in 95% of the cases, they've completely forgotten about that thing that they mm. wanted so badly and they've managed to survive this last month without it so why do i need to go and spend all this money so i think it's a really good strategy especially if you're one of those people who does kind of impulse shop and does kind mm -hmm. of get caught up in the hype which we both do because we both are gadget do. heads right and we yeah. both love this stuff so much yep. but it's important to realize and kind of really think objectively how much value is this actually going to add? Is this actually going to improve my life? Mm -hmm. Or is it just a shiny new toy that I'm getting very excited about and I'm gonna it's going to lose its shine, like you say, after a couple of weeks? Yeah, and that's the thing. It loses its shine when you don't have it, but it does lose its shine when you get it as well. You think you're going to get this thing and you think about this new person you're going to become. I don't know if you've done it, Barry, where you get obsessed. Like I've literally had uh, in many, many years ago, when I was getting a new computer, it was like way, way back when you custom build this computer and it's going to have lights <laughs> and all these kind of things. And I just pictured myself being like a different person. Like I would not even sleep. I was not able to sleep when I was a kid, kind of so excited for this new thing. And you're right. You get it. Once you get it, it is great, cool for the first day or two, but it, it loses its shine then too. So rather let it lose its shine before you've got it. Um, and uh, then, you know, once you do have it. I mean, that said... Some things do genuinely make you happy and some things do genuinely very much improve the, the quality of your life and the efficiency in, the, in your time. But some just don't, and uh, we need to think about it a little bit more. Yeah, that, 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 that's the key dilemma is to try and detach 
the, the actual utility of whatever you're buying from the status that you think it's going to give you, yep. right? So a lot of our purchases are driven by status or driven by this idea. I want this nice car because I want other people to yes. think I'm successful. <laughs> or I want this phone because I want to be the person on the cutting edge of tech mm -hmm. and I want to have the new shiny thing. And we have to try and, and it's very hard to do. It's very easy to talk about, very hard to do is to not let other people's opinion get in the way and actually assess, does this add value to you? When, when I bought my MacBook, which was a very big purchase for me at the time, mm -hmm. it was a yeah. Serious, serious decision that I made because it was a lot of money. Yeah. But it has been one of the best purchases I ever made because it's made me so much more productive. It's enabled me to do so much more than I was able to do on my old laptop. Yeah. So I look back on that purchase with pride because I'm really happy with that. But that is like one in lots and lots of purchases which <laughs> I don't look back on with pride, right? Because I, yeah. I didn't need those things. I didn't need to upgrade at that point. And it is so difficult in a society that kind of celebrates those upgrades. It celebrates that kind of being mm. on the cutting edge of things. And we all have to look deep inside ourselves and figure out why are we buying this thing? Are we buying it to impress people around us and kind of look like we are, we've made it mm. and we're succeeding and we're accomplishing things? Or are we actually buying it because there is real value for us there? And if you're able to, to be honest with yourself about that discussion, then things become a lot easier. Yeah, 100% Barry. And that car discussion is a massive one in South Africa where everyone has a car. Um, obviously, once I've moved to London, that whole discussion just completely evaporates because everyone's on public transport, right? But it was a big thing. It was a big narrative uh, for me as well. And I certainly made some very silly upgrades um, where, you know, you've got a car that's that's great. It's working. It's paid off. Everything's all fine. Uh, but no, you, you want that upgrade because like you said, uh, it's the status. It's the society that celebrates this upgrading kind of culture. And oh yeah, you're moving forward. Uh, you know, you're constantly improving. Blah 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 blah. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's all it's all nonsense. But it's hard to get away from, right? Yeah, and it's not just subtle as well. Often it's direct influence. Mm. When I was at RMB, I was under a lot of pressure because I'm driving this terrible Toyota Corolla that breaks down a lot, right? And it's, <laughs> it doesn't look like an investment banker's car. Right. And there was pressure on me from my teammates as to what happens when you drive to a client and you're having a meeting with the CEO about a huge deal and you arrive in a Toyota Corolla and there was mm. this pressure on me to get a better car so I can look better when I arrive at the meeting. And I remember those discussions and thinking, how backward is this? Like, mm. like that, that doesn't matter at all, like what I arrive, what car I arrive in. Yeah. But like you say, in South Africa, the car is a big status symbol. And so I felt that direct pressure. So it's not just the pressure we put on ourselves. It's actually conversations that happen in real life, unfortunately, of the people yeah. around you. And you have to be strong enough to resist that pressure and kind of focus on what really matters to you. I'm a big believer in like pick one or two things that you're really passionate about mm. and spend extravagantly on the stuff that really makes you happy. So so if that's clothes, then good. If that's food, if it's a car, if like whatever it is, whatever gets you going, spend money on that. But everything else, you don't need to be the cutting edge of every single fashion trend, right? So if yep. clothes don't matter to you, then don't spend a lot of money on them. Spend on what really matters to you, what's going to bring you joy and happiness. And often yep. that's only one or two things. So get to understand what makes you tick, what do you really care about, and then don't spend on all the other nonsense, right? For me, Chad, I'm really happy to spend on books. I spend a yep, lot of yep. money buying books. <laughs> and I'm more than happy to spend that. Like, in my opinion, if I see a book that I want, I just buy it. I don't think yep. about the price. Yep. But that's because I cut my spending in everything else that I don't care about. And yep. so... Don't do it for other people. Figure out what makes you happy. Spend on those pieces. That's great. Do your thing. But everything else, there's no need to be keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, 100%. And with the, just with that pressure, Barry, that you talk about from, from your team and all that kind of stuff, I'd imagine it's kind of like 
building a muscle. It's kind of like the alcohol discussion that, that you and I had, I think about a year ago, where you eventually get to the stage where, well, I'm Barry, Barry doesn't drink, so I'm not drinking. Um, and ultimately, I guess you, it, it's just a, you get better and better at, at saying no or better and better at resisting this urge or, or building your arguments or, well, just re- people realizing that it's not a line that you're going to cross kind of thing, um, th- that you're able to to keep on with, with your decision that, that you know for yourself is the right decision. Without a doubt. And often it comes down to just owning it, Chad, and just like mm. owning it. So like my Toyota Corolla became a running joke in our team because it would always break down. <laughs> and so I, I made that a joke and I was laughing with the yeah. guys throughout my career there and so that yeah. made it a lot easier because we kind of got past that idea of oh why why isn't he kind of doing the same thing at all yeah. we've done we've yeah. all gone and bought bmws why is he still driving what he's driving and so whatever it is own it and use humor to diffuse the situation and diffuse yeah. kind of that peer pressure and like you say the more you do it the more you kind of stand up for those those values and those principles yeah. it gets easier over time and so if you're struggling right now and you feel like you are in these status games with people around you start with something small and just kind of work that muscle like you say Chad and yeah. see if you see if you can kind of move towards a world where the material items don't matter as much and you're focusing more on what brings me value what brings me joy and that doesn't always have to be a material thing often it's an experience yep. it's connection with friends and family it's it's other things that are, are you can't be buy with money and once you get to that point you've got a much better chance of longer term happiness rather than buying a brand new car being super excited for two weeks but then the novelty wears off and then at the end of the day it's just a car absolutely i kind of said that we weren't going to talk about development grow type stuff but you know what i let us down because we completely did and i think that was a wonderful <laughs> wonderful note to end this episode on barry Definitely. I think that because it's the last segment in the show, we often don't have time to get to mm-hmm. it. So we need to make more of an effort to, to leave some time for the end because it's certainly one of my favorite sections. And we'd love to hear from you. If, if you if you resonate with these kind of discussions, please let us know. We'd love to hear, like, what are you doing for Black Friday? What do you spend a lot of, lots of money on? And kind of how are you dealing with these topics? Because we are also learning ourselves, Chad. We, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and so if you are listening right now, let us know what you think. We'd really love to engage on these kind of topics. And how do you do that? Well, you can either click down below and leave us a voice note, uh, click in the anchor link that you'll see in every single one of our podcasts if you're listening to us and you leave us a voice note. Otherwise, go to any of our social media pages. We are on Twitter at across underscore podcast, Instagram at across the podcast and Facebook across the pond podcast. Send us a fleet, an IGTV, <laughs> a store, a storylight, a TikTok, whatever you send us, we'd love to hear from you. That is it for episode 54 of Across the Pond. We hope you've enjoyed listening or watching wherever you are in the world. We'll see you back here again, same time, same place, for yet another episode of Across the Pond. Pond, pond across the pond.